Welcome to the Hardware Asylum Podcast Extras. In this episode, we talk about the CES Sideshow Enigma and get a first look at the RS Water Force Extreme. I'm your host, Dennis Garcia. With me today, I have Darren McKay. Dennis, with every successful CES trip that we take, there's always a little bit of an odd side, what I like to call the CES sideshow. That's my term. <laughs> I know, but this being an extra, Dennis, I thought instead of talking about all the cool stuff, we should talk about some of the weird sideshow stuff. The stuff that isn't so technical, the stuff that just didn't make the cut for the main show, I guess. Well, okay then. I think we should start out with probably my favorite thing, and that is that we didn't get a white Mustang convertible this trip. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, so the story of the white Mustang convertible, (laughs) I think Darren had mentioned this before. He's a Mustang guy. Yes. And he is also a white car guy. Yes. He's always had a white car. We talked about that in some extra a long time ago. Oh, yeah. In the archives, go find it. Tell us in the comments or don't. Yeah. So I believe the the back, back, back story was that you had traveled to Vegas once and you got the car rental and... They gave you the Mustang, the same one that you had. It's actually even more nefarious than that because I got... Okay, so even further back. At the time, I had a white Mustang convertible, and my wife had a black Cougar. If you remember the Mercury Cougar, the new one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And every time I traveled, every time I traveled for like two, almost three years, including uh, trips to Vegas, I got a complimentary upgrade to a white Mustang convertible, or I could choose a Mercury Cougar Coupe. So, any event, last CES, the first CES that Darren had attended, the rental car that we got from Avis, not name dropping, but that's who I got from, was... A white Mustang convertible! Yep. (laughs) And it was an upgrade. And it was an upgrade because they didn't have any of the cars that I had actually wanted that were rather inexpensive. So, they must have seen us coming this year because they gave us a... (laughs) Red Honda Civic. (laughs) <laughs> which was an upgrade. An upgrade. And the crazy part about it was that the car worked great, right? We had like some guys from the UK that were driving around to a party and got lost, which was really also kind of fun. But when I went to return it to the airport, <laughs> this is the, funny. the attendant comes over and he's like waving his arms. And I'm like, what the hell, dude, that I'm supposed to stop at the line. So I stop, roll down the window. He goes, I think you're going to the wrong place. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's like, we don't have any of these cars. It's like, this is where I got it from. <laughs> He's like, I don't want it. (laughs) He's like, I don't want it. And I'm like, so if you're not going to take the car back, then I'm not going to get charged. I'm just going to leave. And so, well, you can't leave. I know this is your car. (laughs) Take the car. So he goes, give me the keys. I'm like, "Um, I'll give him the rental thing instead. And he goes, "Uh, I can't see the number I'm supposed to have on here. Give me the keys. So I gave him the keys, turn off the car. He goes, yep, lo and behold, it's our car. Okay. And he just kind of let us out. And then what does he do? He says, I'm going to take this one for myself. Yeah. He wanted to keep the car for himself. And gets in it and drives away. Yeah. Oh, and then he commented on how it had high mileage. And I go, yeah, it smelled funny too, but it has a little tire. But you know, the car worked great. It was was a little wonky, but it was fun. Yeah. And in a little twist of irony, Dennis, also a bit of a Honda driver. Yeah. Something like that. So... That's how we started out, by getting a crazy red car. But why do we have to have the car? Well, that's because of the sideshow. <laughs> the CES sideshow. That's my term, by the way. You can't take it. I, I'm totally running with it. So what is the CES sideshow? If I'm going to be really using that term, I think we should tell the audience what you mean by it. The CES sideshow is 
all of the manufacturers that I normally deal with that are taking advantage of the fact that CES is happening in Las Vegas, holding themselves up in a hotel somewhere on the Strip. Not so, affiliated with CES. Not affiliated with CES. Or maybe, I guess. And then setting up meetings and requesting that people show up. And in some instances, getting really upset when you, know, when you get stood up for a meeting. So I think it's important to note, because people that haven't been listening for years maybe don't know that we go to CES and we spend like a week there. And how much time do we actually spend at CES proper? I mean, literally on the sideshow on our average trip, would you say? Eight hours. At, at best. Now, this trip, we maybe did a little bit better, but it mm. just kind of was by accident. Yeah. I mean, I had, for instance, some of our meetings were at the MGM Grand, not a CES uh, hotel. We had one at Aria, which was a CES hotel, but only in a certain area. We had Bellagio. We had Caesars Palace. A lot of them at Caesars. It's a good place to park, actually. It's very centrally located. you like Caesars? Maybe my favorite place to shop? Yeah. I always park at the Mirage because then we can walk across the street to get to the Venetian, which is a CES venue. And the only time that we had meetings throughout the day that we had to have the badge for. And where else do we go? Winds? Um, yeah, the wind is also affiliated, but it's basically... Sands or whatever it is now. Well, the Sands is uh, the Venetian, basically. The Venetian. Uh, I mean, and then we did Cosmo and... No, it wasn't Cosmo's Aria. Ah, same diff. Uh, but yeah, it's I mean, all really. over the place. So picture in your mind, Dennis and Darren, road warriors in our red Honda, driving up and down the strip like we're taxi cabs, trying to go back and forth from all these different hotels. And the challenge is trying to schedule, which Dennis does, thank God, all these different things so that we have enough time to travel and park and walk across the street and figure out which freaking room they're in. Which sometimes they don't send me. Yeah, until day of, if that. So that we can meet with all these wonderful vendors, which is, of course, the big payoff. The downside of that is because we have to schedule time in between the meetings, we don't get to see as many people. No, that's true. And it really cuts it down. So we have to be very selective. So every year when we talk to you, like we do in the main, about the stuff we've shown and talked to and held in our pretty little hands, we have to choose who we see. And sometimes it's even more aggravating because... We might schedule meetings that don't happen. Well, yeah, we had some of those. The ones that I find are most annoying is when, well, for instance, we were not late to any of our meetings. Yeah, when some of them were a bit of a run, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, we were not late. In most cases, we were early, and that's the way it should be. Like, for instance, I go to meet with a vendor. The person I need to talk to is like, no, they're off talking to this person. It's like, why are they talking to this person? I have their time. That's why I schedule this. And then, of course, well, I can go and show you around. That's why they have more people. I'm like, great. But now I can't get my agenda because I could care less about the products that I already know about, right? I want to talk to the person that's going to be handling my next year. And that doesn't even take into account the crazy folks, YouTubers maybe, that are trying to hijack our elevators and our trips so that they can get into these meetings that they haven't been invited to. Well, yeah, we had two of those actually happen. I got to give them credit, though. If you can get in the door, I mean, that's kind of impressive. Mm-hmm. I'd do it, too, if that was the only way I could meet these vendors. Yeah, that's true. Um, of course, the other one is when um, the, uh, we'll call them a tech tuber, show up late to a meeting, and then all of a sudden my person that I'm talking to, the person I scheduled time with, ditches me to go and talk to them. And I'm <sighs> like, well, that just kind of lets me know that, I don't matter or they matter more or something, or maybe they're paying them. I'm not sure exactly oh how gosh. that works, but yeah, 
it's like they show up late. Why should I get punished for that? So there's a bit of an annoyance that goes on and it just kind of multiplies with the fact that I am making efforts to get around to these places on time. I don't know. It's again, that's the aggravation of the sideshow. One of the other vendors we talked to who was with CES proper, they had a, an affiliated suite came up and started talking about, well, I just found out about these vendors that are taking meetings in non CES hotels, which we thought everyone knew. Yeah. We thought everyone knew, but supposedly this is the first time he had actually heard about it. So we had a lengthy discussion about the sideshow in general and how long it's been going on and how some vendors actually had booths and now they're out at the Palms or they had a hotel room and now they're off into a different hotel. Well, I do have to admit that there were a lot of pretty big name vendors that just didn't have anything on the floor at all. There's a lot of that actually. And it's because they don't have anything to show. They just want to be there. Yeah. Well, you got to get that magnetism. Like you say, the sideshow attracts the media and then you just kind of suck the media to the sideshow. And it's not bad. I mean, I've played it for, I don't know what, eight years now, something like that. That's when it really became a thing. It just detracts from the fact that we can't go to CES proper and actually look around. Although Friday was our day. Yeah, and that was fun. And we kind of bagged on this a little bit in the main show. But to be fair, it was pretty cool. And we spent more time on the floor than I expected, which gave us the opportunity to go and do some of the stuff that we kind of complained about on the main show. Mm -hmm. There is a lot to be said for dragging through all these little booths and looking for that diamond in the rough. And we did find a couple, actually. Oh, well, so what one on the show floor did you like the most? On the show floor? Oh, my gosh. Um, that's and it a, can be more than one. That's a little tough. I, I mean, I'm always a big fan of the headphones, so it was nice to see so many vendors offering uh, headphones, and we kind of bagged on this a little bit. But there were vendors that were surprises, like THX, for example, had headphones there. The Dolby Digital folks had headphones there. Mm -hmm. And so I was kind of looking for headphones because I like that. And also there's a pretty good chance that they might have a sample that you can take home. Now, it turned out that there weren't a lot, although we brought home more headphones than anything this year, which was a surprise. I think you had something to do with that, actually. Well, you know, we gravitate towards what we like. And the downside is a lot of the stuff we like just isn't take home friendly, like motherboards and video cards as much as we kind of wish they were. Yeah. So for me, um, really, I like the TV stuff. You know, we'd spend a lot of time in the Samsung booth looking at the wall. Oh, yeah, that was pretty dang cool. Which basically, it's a modular television. So you have these individual panels, and they get put together, much like how you can do multiple TVs and you just synchronize them. So the upper left has a picture and the upper right has a picture. I think a lot of media is really downplaying that. And I want to really emphasize the TV doesn't have to be square. No, it and it was, of course, on the wall. And so everybody's going to report that this actually was 219 inches, by the way. We blew that in the main podcast. Mm -hmm. But, you know, largest TV ever, but they're kind of cheating because it's modular. But it that is. means it could be bigger or smaller or weird shapes. And they showed some examples of where, you know, if you had a long wall, you might want to have a really long, narrow TV on it. You set the media to go with it. There was, um, when I was overhearing one of the demonstration uh, presentations, there was a, a gentleman there that could not understand that if you configured your wall to 4K, that you couldn't upgrade it to 8K. <laughs> well, yeah. And he just couldn't get past that. And it's like the guy was saying, well, all you do is just add more panels. Sure. And, and instead of actually increasing the resolution of the screen itself, which is what you would have to do if you bought an off-the-shelf television, sure. you add more resolution. Um, somehow, okay. 
Yeah, you just add more panels to it. So now the screen becomes 8K, can handle 8K. Sort of. I because mean, the, the panels themselves support four. So uh-huh. so you the, double the size to get 8K, I guess? Yeah, and that's in a sense what you do. I would kind of felt like I'd seen that before, and the modular part was kind of cool. And the demo was really neat because you could use whatever portion of the screen you wanted if you needed a, you know, a, a 16 by 9 or whatever your your aspect ratio is, the rest of it could be designed to look like a standard wall. And I thought that was pretty cool. But I was actually more impressed with the roll-up TVs. Oh, yeah, that was at the LG booth. So LG had a really rockin' wall, too, that I spent a lot of time taking video of that just doesn't do it justice. And they, they did last year, too. But this year they were really showing the curved TVs in sort of a, I don't know, a cave maybe. Um, so you'll want to look that up. It's not something that I don't think even pictures can do justice of. So you'll find a video. We might post one if we have a good one. But it was just so hard to catch. But that wasn't even the attraction. So picture in your mind a sound bar that's maybe, I don't know, 70 inches across and about a foot square. Uh, That's about right. And when you turn on your TV, the screen unrolls and expands out of it. Because the big challenge of having a big TV is you have a big TV. And they had another solution to it, too, the frame, which we didn't talk about, which I think we both really liked. I don't know if it's something I would buy, but it is already available. Yeah, it was a a picture frame, a television that looked like a picture frame, and it it did a really good job of holding still images, which is something that a lot of TVs don't do. So when the TV turns off, it switches to a static uh, image of a classic painting, and they had a catalog of, I don't know, thousands of, of, you know, older paintings, because of course they're public domain now, that you could have hanging on your wall or even a rotation when it's not on. And they were in a bunch of different sizes, all the way down to just normal eight and a half by 11 size, all the way up to, I I think they had 70 inches. And I just think that's really cool. Mm -hmm. If you're going to have a TV always on display when it's off, it becomes artwork or it rolls away. And, And to me, yeah, that's where my money would go. Something like that, if they can get it down to a price range that's competitive. Speaking of prices, though, we had spent a lot of time in the North Hall, which is all the automotive stuff. Oh, my gosh. You know, we always do this. Now, it's no secret that Dennis and I are both a little bit of motorheads and a little bit audio heads, just in different ways. I always like to go and see Orion. Um, I was one of the Orion Extreme members when they did that club long, long time ago. So I'd like to go see what new stuff is coming out. So they have their big 18-inch subwoofers that <laughs> on a engine crane, which I thought was kind of fun. Gosh, because they're gigantic these days. And then we walk around. There was uh, some sound demos, um, stereo installs and fancy cars. Mm-hmm. It's just really fun to walk around and see that stuff. But then if you go over to... The new car area, Mercedes had some sort of a crazy concept car, which oh, was amazing. Oh my gosh, yeah, an electric race car, a single seater. I know you've got to have some pictures of this, but again, it's so hard to do it justice. Um, they showed a really great car last year that was another concept car. And to be fair, CES has a lot of concept cars from a lot of different manufacturers. And for the most part, we tend to ignore them, although we looked at a few from Audi and Nissan and whatever, and they just... Mm-hmm kind of tend to be funky-looking electronic versions of the normal ones. And, you know, see things like opposable doors and gold wings and stuff. But Mercedes really brings it. They do. Yep. We had um, Nissan had an electric Leaf race car. Oh, geez. I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> yeah, so the Leaf, you know, that's a compact <laughs> car. And it's an electric. It's really small. Well, they made it a full-sized car, basically with body kits and stuff. Carbon fiber everywhere, roll cage. And it was an actual working race car. 
I would not have believed it was a leaf. Super sexy. And you know what you reminded me of also? We see, especially in the stereo stuff, a lot of exotic cars because everybody wants their stereo and exotic car. I mean, Monster's got the Lamborghini, the gold Lamborghini, it seems like every year now. Yeah. And, you know, if you like that. But there was, for the first time this year, and I, I'm going to have to look up the company and maybe we can get it in the notes because a smaller company had tricked out a Tesla. Oh, yeah. I don't even remember the name of it. But, yeah, it was tricked out. It was lowered. It was dropped. Dropped. It was on airbags. Massive stereo. Um, the first time I've ever seen anybody take a Tesla and and turn it into something that to me was a desirable, crazy competition stereo supercar with the cool wheels and the whole nine yards. And what I always saw uh, a slammed, um, well, in fact, a lot of the manufacturers are going after the RV, no, not even RV, the recreational thing. So we saw a lot of like the Razors with stereos. Jet skis oh, yeah. with stereos, uh, and they had a slingshot that was crazy tricked out. Oh, maybe the biggest thing in the North Hall was a boat. Oh, my gosh, the they had boat. A, they had a yacht, an ocean-going yacht on display, and that company was pimping, uh, what was it, digital concierge. Yeah. So, so it like, had, like, combinations of drones and radar and internet, and it was crazy. Kind of like a crazy rich person's version of Alexa, I guess. But the boat was definitely the biggest thing that we saw there. Yeah, we got in, I kid you not, it was four minutes of us being on the show floor, and there was always 20 people in line to get to see the boat. Word must have gotten out, because it was crazy. I don't know what the boat cost, but uh, yeah, it was very dominant and very impressive. Yeah. So overall, CES 2019, a lot of fun. CES Sideshow, it just kind of happens. It's a little annoying. I, I would love it if they all went and got room at the Caesars or something like that. I mean, they have all those halls there. They're just empty, empty. And it's kind of, you know, it's not necessarily affiliated with CES, but it would put all the vendors in one spot. You know, maybe they can go pool their money or something. But Yeah, and you'd think that they'd have some kind of great discount that would attract the sideshow to one or two hotels. I mean, there are only so many suites to go around, right? Mm, yeah, but, you know, I guess the, the hotel suite also gives them a little bit of privacy, a little bit of exclusivity, and a whole lot of annoyance for us. So we teased this little item in the main show. Little? <laughs> yeah, little. Um, it's an amazing Halo product. It's really darn expensive. And according to the company, they're not going to make a lot of them. So I'm feeling a little honored by touching this box to my left. So I'm looking at this thing, and I know we're going to do an unboxing, but I think we should talk a little bit about it for folks that haven't really been following. This is a, what would you call it, an overclocking unicorn? Halo product. We love Halo products because they are extreme. Extreme. In this case, we have the RS Z390 RS Extreme Water Force. When Gigabyte kind of got out of the overclocking game, they still had this itch to have a high-end product. And that product is now under the name Extreme. So we have the same basic SOC style motherboard that now has a lot of the modern conveniences of the gaming segment. So we have an Extreme. So to be fair, we did see this at the show. And honestly, I'm shocked that we got one because I didn't they say that this was how to print or they were debating reprinting? No, it's a it's a Halo product. And Gigabyte, MSI, EVGA, all of the manufacturers, they build these Halo things to basically peacock about their technology. They're showing this thing. Now, the Water Force Edition is one that has a water block. 
that's the water part. They have an extreme version that you can buy that's air-cooled, and that's the mass predictor one. So this is a little different from our normal unboxings because I've actually seen this product, just not up close. So well, I, you haven't seen the box it's in. Oh, you know, and that's the thing, Dennis. you got to take a picture of this box because this is the largest motherboard box that I have ever seen. Uh, and it's heavy. Oh, my gosh. All right, so <laughs> I'm going to go lift this thing. Uh, bear with me here. All right. <clears throat> in fact, I'm going to open it. We'll just jump right in there. You're going to open? Okay, go ahead. Holy crap. <laughs> so we do love the unboxings over the radio because obviously you can see everything that's going on. But we try to describe. So, um, yeah, this thing's heavy. So inside, I believe there's two boxes. There are two boxes. Okay. One of them's bigger than the other. You might have to okay. turn it over, actually. I'm not, I'm not sure which side is down. Um... <laughs> uh, all right. All right, I'm just going for it. Go. Don't drop it. Normally, I can do this in my lap. Holy cow. Um, all right. So I'm gonna pull out. The, I'm gonna pull out the big box. Yeah, the big box is the good one. I know, but it's on top. Yeah. Okay. I'll leave it then. I'll get the little box first. Yeah, get the little box. Little box is a better one. Russell, 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 Russell. All right. All right, I totally got to move this. This is so big in my lap, I feel like I'm holding a toddler. Okay, so the first box says RS All-in-One Monoblock. I should get a picture of this, actually. I'll <laughs> Here, I'll scoot back. Da, 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 da. I'm like a proud papa here. Proud, proud papa. Oh, hold on. There we go. Click. Oh, hold on. You were, <laughs> I'm you're not being, even smiling. You're being goofy. All right, there we go. All right, so... Folks, you can check that out because this is impressive. All right, box open. <laughs> I'm looking. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, this is the gravy. What do you mean the other box was exciting? This is what's exciting. No, the other box is exciting. No, it's just a freaking motherboard. Okay, so the first box contains, not a surprise, a gigantic water block, which I'm now pulling out. Yeah. And uh, I'm not going to lie. I want this. Oh, let me see that. Oh, oh my God. It's heavy. So we talked on the on the floor about this, and they said that this is milled out of a a single piece, if I'm not mistaken. No, it's multiples. But it doesn't look like it is. No. So um, if we look here, the part that sits over the CPU and the VRM is one solid piece. That's what I'm thinking of, probably. This is big. Um, yeah, it's got uh, proper standoffs around the CPU. We got uh, proper... Mounting on the VRM, which is good. We got this little plug-in for the lighting RGB. Sweet. The part that's over the um, chipset is a separate piece, and it's got a little, you know, pre-applied thermal paste, thermal pads. Oh, and these two guys right here are for the NVMe. So they got these little fingers that go between the PCI Express slots. That's where the NVMe drives are. What's this little doodad? Oh, that's another RGB, probably. Nice. It's a little dinky small. There's two of them. It is really dinky small. So this is probably the majority of the weight, the big old water block. Yeah. So what are we looking at here? How's the channel in the water? Uh, ins and outs up here. Looks like we got in that's directly above the CPU, which is where it should be. We're going to channel down to the chipset, and then it's going to loop back and then come out on the VRM side. And it looks like we got some uh, metallic stuff around the outside. 
which is your leak detection. That might be what this pin is for. Oh, nice. Built-in leak detection. Yeah. And that was something that Asus did on their first monoblock that they did on a, a Rampage Extreme. So they had, um, you know, you put your barb fitting on there, and if any water touches that, you know, it's leaking out the barb, right? Then it will go off. The idea is that the rest of it's not going to leak, right? Oh, well, we hope so, right? Yeah. So what else is in the box? All right. So we got some mountings. We got a whole bunch of replacement uh, heat sink stickers in case you need to reuse it, it looks like. Um, juice. That's uh, that's about it from this first box, but I think it's enough because this is what really makes this board special. Yeah. Um, it's, well, it's extreme. It says so right on it. Yeah, it's extreme. But this is really heavy, and this is going to... Uh, be what differentiates this board on the market and also what drives the cost of it, assuming that you can find this because of the concept of the unicorn out there. Mm-hmm. What were they, do you remember what they were postulating it might cost if they make another run retail? It was something like 800 bucks. That's a lot, but most of it's consi- in the machining for that guy. Well, when you consider the cost of a good water cooling kit, especially an integrated one, I mean, you're going to talk about 150 easy. Well, and that's assuming that the company that's making the water blocks makes a monoblock because there's a lot of boards out there that could benefit from a monoblock, but they're low end enough that they're not going to bother building a, a block for it. So maybe we didn't mention this, but the block itself on both the, the, was it the North bridge and the processor is clear and RGB lit. Mm-hmm. So you can see all the water moving. So in a case like we've built with the colored liquid, like we talked about with the uh, thermal take liquid, for example, mm-hmm. you're going to be able to see that pathing across the entire motherboard, which is, I think going to look super sexy, super, which takes me to box number two, the larger box This says Z 390 RS extreme water force on it. Okay. Not a surprise. Oh, this one's hinged. You can put it up on the table here. You know that, right? Oh, I know, but it's freaking so much stuff. Okay, so this one uh, only wants to open halfway, so I can no longer see Dennis, which might be a positive depending on your day. Yeah. All right, so I'm um, looking at the motherboard here, and I'm going to pull it out, and it looks like you have the option, Dennis, to run this thing without the water block in case you were freaking crazy. Um, so here's the thing, right? I'm pulling it out. The monoblock covers the CPU. It also covers the MVME. If you wanted to change the CPU, for instance, you have to remove the water block. Okay, so just to talk about this motherboard, I'm going to close the box and take a look at this motherboard just like we would any normal motherboard that doesn't have a massive water block. Basically, this is um, what a motherboard looks like without the stock heat sinks and stuff. So now this is the Z390. Yeah. So Check the VRMs. Oh my gosh, look at that. So there's a lot of power to it. We got uh, two eight pins up here at the top. We got, I like this actually. This is relatively new. Um, they use a, I guess it says right on it, a solid pin connector that's no longer uh, vertical for your power supply. So much easier to run cabling. It's one of those, why haven't they been doing that all along moments for me? Uh, EVJ does that, by the way. Yeah, I like it, but it's the 90 degree and uh, Gigabyte was one of the first companies to um, uh, popularize the solid pins, the solid power pins. They did that on the SOC boards, right? Because before that, they would actually use hollow ones. And the idea was that the hollow ones would expand and give you better contact with the uh, power supply cables. However, it uh, also limited how much power could go across. 
Well, I think maybe more fun than looking at the top of this is to look at the bottom of it. Oh, yeah, back plate. So, see, the, see the edge lighting right here that you put away from ooh, yourself? Yeah, I know. I did see that. It's got nice, solid back lighting on one side. The board itself is, well, maybe it gives the illusion of being thicker than it is because of the lighting. And also the back has uh, that cooling right up to the edge on it there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Gigabyte has always been using their two-ounce copper PCBs, which means that it just basically has a lot of weight. It also makes the board a lot stronger. I really like the attractive back plates on these, which makes me wonder when the case manufacturers are going to start doing skeletons for their motherboard trays so that you can actually see the backs of the motherboards and maybe aid the cooling a little bit. We talked to a lot of manufacturers that were talking about there needing to be cooling on both sides of some of the modern boards to really make them efficient. And so they just stand off from the board, but there isn't great airflow there. Now, it took a while before the case manufacturers had the back slots on them for the heat sink exchange. So you didn't have to take the motherboard off to get to the heat sink. Mm -hmm. So the next logical step maybe is to be able to see the entire, at least a large part of the back of the motherboard. Yeah, I think, I don't know, that might not actually be a thing. When it was, was a, popular back in the day when we had acrylic cases, though. Yeah, but with three-window cases and tempered glass making a comeback, why not? I mean, I feel like we should have talked to these people about it while we were at CES. Oh, yeah. Who knows? Um, oh, so around the motherboard here, VRM at the top. Lots of them. We have a controller chip here that's actually, it looks like it's a hot one. Sound, obviously, down the side. That's no change. Mm-hmm. Three PCI Express 16-lane slots, obviously 16, 16, 8, and then this is probably a 4 from the chipset, the 4 being the one at the bottom. Right. Uh, your 90-degree power over on that side. We also have a 90-degree USB 3 header. A nice change. We have a variety of bench controls. So we have power and reset at the top there. Right. We have debug LED at the bottom. Oh, there's the OC button, which is really popular. Uh, I don't see the voltage test points. Now, I should point out that uh, this is not the most attractive board without the heat sink on it, which isn't a big surprise. It's not supposed to be. Because the the heat sink, the water cooling, is the star of the show on this board. Yeah. Uh, oh, one thing, the board itself is um, extended. Oh, it is. So if you look at the holes here, we have primary hole, secondary hole, tertiary, and then there's a Normally, it stops about, oh, what, five millimeters off oh, of this? Oh, yeah, you're right. It's extended off the side, so this will only fit into certain cases, unfortunately. Again, being a Halo product, that's not a big deal, but um, it is something to note. Well, and not going to fit in your little tiny micros and ATX cases for sure, and it's got a pretty impressive back panel, too, that's larger also. Yeah, yeah there's an I.O. that has the integrated shield on it, which is pretty cool. Built, on, built in Wi-Fi. Nice. This one also has the video on board, which a lot of high-end boards do not have. And then we have a variety of uh, 3.1 USBs. Uh, and only, Optical outs even. Ooh. Yeah, and two Ethernets. Very nice. <laughs> two Ethernets. Yeah, which is the extreme part. I mean, that was something the yeah, Gigabyte has always pioneered was that they have uh, redundant Ethernet. That was the original selling point. And then at one point, they're saying, oh, well, you can bond them together and get faster Ethernet. Well, and I like that this one's finally got USB 3 active ports there for charging on it, too. It's nice to see the new USB 
3C plugs on the back instead of having to use the conversion kits. Oh, yeah, or the breakout panel or something like that. Yeah, so very nice. All right, let's take a peek at what accessories they give us in the box here. See if there's anything worth mentioning because the box is like double deep here. Yeah, there's um, at least one module in there that we should talk about. All right, so I'm going to turn this so Dennis can see too because it says Team Up Fight On on the top, which I like. Yeah. It's got, is that a sticker sheet? That's kind of yep. cool. Sticker sheets. They're, um, they pulled that from Asus. Two boxes. One says RSRGB Fan Commander, which seems like a nice bonus box. Let's go for it. That's the one I was going to show. Woo. The other one's got all the cables and stuff in it, I see, as I'm thinking. But all right, let's open the Commander box. What? Yeah. <laughs> it's like a giant box with one square module in it. And it is the RSRGB Fan Controller. Yeah, so remember we were talking... Oh. I think we were talking offline about this, but um, lots of cables. Silverstone has released a module that allows you to have fan controllers, uh, addressable RGB controllers. It also has the power on and off with the remote all in one module. This block is very similar to that. It has the fan controls, it has the RGB controls. And they're all using proprietary connectors, obviously. But Oh, yeah. Well, I see that. It, it controls eight units, has USB out on it, temperature probes, too. The all-important motherboard sync so that you can get your RS devices all to play nicely together with mm -hmm. a single solution and a single software controller. That is something that's been missing from a lot of motherboards that have an R a, uh, RGB controller, is that you still need to be able to control your external devices, even if they aren't fully compatible. Well, pretty nice, actually. Uh, I like that. It is kind of funny that it's in its own box with the cables. But, I, you know, we've talked a lot about this, and CES kind of brings it to mind. There's a lot of competition right now for what is going to be the RGB standard as you go forward. And I think the addition of a controller really means that you can expand on it without being as locked into an ecosystem as you might be with some of the other systems. Well, and... You know, if you don't consider people that can mod stuff, like um, the Silverstone strips, for instance, they use a standard pinout. So you could go and knock the end of it off and then put a standard four pin on there and control it from your motherboard. Well, this is definitely the most impressive motherboard packaging I've ever seen. So you'll have to check those pictures out. And I think this is making for an intriguing future build. What do you have planned? I have a couple of things planned. Being that I'm one of the only review sites that really handles reviewing water blocks and DIY sort of stuff, this is a perfect companion to what it is that we have planned. So we have the standard review, which will be probably on phase and water. Nice. You know, the phase part will be without the blocks and all that, so we can do the extreme review. And then after that, I think we're going to do a couple of fun YouTube videos and kind of you know, poke some jabs at some tech tubers and stuff. <laughs> that should be fun. So look forward to some new content soon, and uh, we'll see how bad this thing performs. For more information on the topics discussed in this podcast, please consult our show notes on hardwareasylum.com. Stay up to date on the latest at Hardware Asylum by subscribing to our RSS. Follow us on Twitter or like us on Facebook. This has been a Ninja Lane production, copyright 2018. Thanks for listening.